0: Hi, and welcome back to my podcast, Tales from the Emerald Rock. A shout-out to my two listeners who are forced to listen to my voice on this fine evening. Now, let's get into what you've all been waiting for, Montserrat's very own Trial of a Century. It's filled with more twists than an episode of EastEnders, and makes the Johnny Depp trial seem boring. It's got something for everyone, murder, family drama, inheritance trouble, and even a Dutch man. Hmm. If this hasn't got you intrigued, I don't know what will. So strap in and enjoy the ride. So I'll take you on a journey back in time to 1654 Montserrat. In terms of documents in this podcast, we will largely be relying on colonial records from British History Online to explain the history, as well as Gwyn archive for materials. Okay, so let's go to the beginning now. This court case was between Roger Osborne, uh, the governor at the time, and Samuel Wadd, who was a rich planter at the time, on Montserrat. Samuel Wadd was a Dutchman, whilst Roger Osborne was an Irishman. They were both very wealthy men, but there was a big animosity between the two. This originated from Anthony Brisket's death in 1649, which meant that his wife, Elizabeth Brisket, was left widowed, and with a young son, who was set to inherit Brisket's or lots of wealth and estates. Anti Brisket was a previous governor of Ireland who owned the biggest plantation estate on this island. So this was a significant amount of inheritance. Yeah, Anti Brisket II, Anthony Brisket's son, was too young to inherit it now and needed a guardian to supervise it. This uh, meant that uh, Roger Osborne was this guardian at the time because an important fact to note is that Elizabeth Brisket was Roger Osborne's little sister, which meant before she ma- remarried, he was this legal guardian. However, uh, this didn't last long, as after Andy Brisket's death, she remarried with Samuel Wadd, which meant that Roger Osborne was no longer entitled to any of Auntie Brisket's wealth. Furthermore, tensions are accelerated as Elizabeth suddenly died in 1653, which meant Samuel Wadd was entitled to inherit all of Andy Brisket's estates and implantations until Anthony Brisket Second reached the appropriate age of his inheritance. This angered Osborne greatly and he began plotting how to steal the inheritance from Wad. This led to him constantly harassing Samuel Wad to provoke a violent reaction, until one day he pushed Wad too far by arresting his guest Thomas Hurst. Wad in his anger wrote a threatening letter to Osborne accusing him of being unlawful. Osborne then used this letter to claim that Wad was a traitor. And did a fake trial, which ultimately led to Wad's being court-martialed and executed, and this led to Osborne receiving the inheritance instead. Now, this is a myth which has been well known in Montserrat society. We now must verify the truthfulness the of it. There are multiple different reports which list the execution of Samuel Wood by Roger Osborne. For example, according to British History Online, section December 1654, Samuel Wad's father petitioned the Council of State to investigate his son's death. In his own words, his son was illegally shot to death at Montserrat and that he requests that Osborne be brought to a condign punishment for so such an unjust and horrid of an act that he committed. Similarly, it wasn't just his father who petitioned the Council of State but multiple other Montserratians who was angered by their injustice. This led to an investigation being launched, according to British History Online, in January sixteen fifty five by the group of General Disbrow the Earl of Mildgrave, Colonel Montague and Sir Gilbert Pickering. In this report, they drew on the testimony of three key witnesses, Richard Wadd, Henry Wadd and Henry Wheeler. From these testimonies, the investigation found that Roger Osborne and his officers deserve a thorough and serious scrutiny. Advise, and then they advised that the whole matter be referred with the most speedy opportunity to the government, Governor of Barbados for examination. This showed that they felt that Osborne was guilty and that needed to be justice served. Similarly, as well as knowing that it occurred, we also learn the contents of a letter that was sent to Osborne. This letter will be read in confusing language as it is the exact, extent, is the exact content of a letter found in Gwyn's archive, page 222. So bear with me. It starts with "Suspending the circumstances, you were pleased yesterday." By virtue of an ill-favoured capiers and respondum to fetch an English gentleman out of my house and without bail or main prize to commit him close prisoner. Had you doubt so with an Irish murderer or later quitted felon immediately employed in your service? it is this a way to preserve the peace of a nation by you wholly neglected and left as a prey to your next invader? Have we not enemies enough abroad to ruin us? but you must command and keep a barbarous Irish and their abettors in arms. Give me leave to tell you it's beneath a gentleman, and if you think to catch me by so mean a stratagem, I will not hold twice. We are not to be regulated by law, nor your exorbitant will, nor your satisfaction of a lady's fancy. I should be loath to hazard my estate upon a frolic. Yet rather than comply with palpable injustice, let me die a beggar. All these false depositions will come to nothing but your shame at last. For your own sake, I beseech you, remember, there's a God which can never fail. Essentially, what Ward was accusing uh, Osborne of was of being a brute and using his Irish man, men in his service to impose his will on the people and that he was being a, a rather unjust governor at this time. Also, from the de- de- deposition against Osborne, we found at the day after the letters, in the investigator's words, Wad, with one Captain Matthew Foyer, disliking ye exorbitant government of ye island, did solicit the government, governor to open court. So, what happened here is that Wad, after sending this letter, was the one who originally took uh, Osmond in court. However, like all tyrants do, Osborne used force to solve this issue and according to Gwyn's Archives page 224, on the same day he commanded a strong guard of Irish to uh, chain Wad and have him brought to court martial. The main corporates from the guard was listed as Nathaniel Reed, William Bentley De Bram and Nathaniel Stevens. The, th- the important thing to note within this list is that each man was listed with their names, and then afterwards their relations to Irish people and their religion. This seems to indicate the investigators' bias, um, as they only focused on the guards who had an Irish relation. Uh, It seemed to be done in order to protect the English. Although this isn't really important to the investigation, I think it's important to note that uh, these sort of conscious biases were still happening in the Caribbean at this time. Um, so, moving on, the investigation finishes with Wad being court martialed and it states that Wad was shot to his death and it lists all of the estates that Osborne stole from him upon his death. And within this inventory of estates in Gwyn Archives, page 223, it makes it clear that the incentive of why. Osborne went to such desperate measures to kill Wad. As not only did he gain a lot of wealth, um, he gained three estates, 70 cows and 500 sheep, which would have made him one of the wealthiest men on the island. But most importantly, listed in the inventory were many debts, amongst which the said uh, Roger Osborne owed uh, Wad about £20,000 of sugar and tobacco. This was an insanely high amount of debt and shows why he took such drastic actions, as although this amount of debt wouldn't ruin him financially, it would severely damage his livelihood. Thus, he took Wad out through court-martial before he could distort him of any of his money. All of this was confirmed by Gwyn Archives, page 225, where the witnesses uh, claimed everyone knew about the debt. It stated about £20,000 of sugar was worth the same as at least a cent per pound. Uh, this would have cost a lot of money, and it makes a lot of sense why he went, Osborne went to such measures to get rid of Ward. In the final report of the cases, it was found that Roger Osborne and his officers deserve a thorough and serious scrutiny, and it advised that the whole matter be referred with the most speedy opportunity to the government of Barbados for examination. This basically declared Samuel Ward as yeah, this is uh, Samuel Ward as innocent and, rich, uh, and Osborne as guilty. However, the reason why I find this case so fascinating is not just because of all the family drama and the murders, but because justice was never done for Samuel Ward. This is evident as Roger Osborne never received any punishments for his crime, um, as the governor of Barbados was too lazy to pursue the investigation. Moreover, Moreover, Osborne was even so confident, or dare I say arrogant, that no one would pursue the investigation, About a year later, after the investigation, Osborne asked for the murder to be reviewed. For example, according to British History Online, section December 1655, he asked as the guardian of Anthony Brisket II to investigate Wad's death, and even states that he prays that the cause of Wad's death may be inquired into This level of arrogance shows how much confidence Osborne has in his his own authority, as he thinks that even if he reminds him of the crimes he got away with, they wouldn't do anything. Sadly, Osborne was correct, and it really just went to show how unlawful Montserrat was at the time. Overall, this story is all about Waz's desire to create a fair legal system in Montserrat. This is clear when you really examine Richard Waz's interview, um, as one of the key witnesses when he claimed that Was spoke before his death and said that he died with a good conscience and for his country's laws. Uh, the meaning of this is that he died to try and cement a better legal system. Similarly, if you look at his letter to Osborne, uh, Was letter, this is what we're talking about, he most importantly said, we are to be regulated by law, not by your absorbent will. This lack of a clear law system would be a problem within many of the West Indies islands in the 17th century and would be a continual theme in Montserrat. For example, according to British History Online, December 1654, in the same year Osborne killed Wad, there would be another petition against him. But this time, this was from Carson Car- of Stockholm, master of uh, Stockholm trading, and he complained to the law of protector that his goods were seized in Montserrat by Governor Roger Osborne. Uh, this was just another example of an underhand and unlawful methods which the government governor would use to get his way. Um, this wasn't just uh, done by Governor Roger Osborne, but instead was a collective thing. Uh, the collective thing has unlawful activities to do for the governors and the assembly of Montserrat as they would often extort the people that they were meant to look after for more money and spent it on their council meetings. Brilliant Sheila, uh, a great historian, actually highlighted the extent of corruption with, within Montserrat. For example, a 1670 to 1680 summary of public expenses found that other mis- miscellaneous column within it, uh, which included important stuff such as tobacco storage, levies, and fees paid for slaves' heads, the highest expense was entertaining the governor and assembly for public meetings. Further, so it wasn't just the highest by a tiny amount, but it was more than double the other miscellaneous columns except, sugar, uh, except the column on sugar. What this most importantly means is that a significant amount of the tax collected by the assembly of Montserrat was being spent at the meetings of councilmen. This seems like an impossible amount of money to spend on just a couple of meetings every year. But when you take into account how luxurious the meetings were, it all makes sense. For example, in March 1679, the Treasury bought two turkeys, a pig and a kid to serve them for the price of three months pay for a militiaman. This was insane. Especially when considering, according to British History Online, in 1669, all families living on the island were required to grow provisions to a proportion of one acre for every two working persons. Similarly, this was done to an even higher extent by governors. For example, the preceding governors afterwards also exploited the people. A clear example is Governor Stapleton, who get, get amassed a large fortune within a short amount of time by exploiting uh, his power. So he did this by granting his brother's land whilst government and then buying it off him a few years later for a reduced price. A clear example is pointed out by British History Online section February 1682 in Antigua when Stapleton bought a plantation of 1,025 acres from his brother Redmond despite him granting his land to his brother only years prior. one year prior. Through this method Stapleton amassed a huge amount of wealth and was able to become one of the biggest plantation owners in Montserrat. Uh, similarly, another governor, James Cotter, was another great example of corruption, as in 1776, 70, he became a secretary and marshal of the Leeward Islands. However, he had to give up this job up in 1680 when he became the governor of Montserrat. Yet, despite no longer being the marshal of the Leeward Islands, he received plain payment for this, for over 70 years after quitting his job. These examples all go to show how corrupt and unlawful the Caribbean was, especially in Montserrat. In conclusion, this case has been discussed in such detail that not only is it a fascinating case, which has so many twists and turns, but it's symbolic and just epitomises the unlawfulness of the Caribbean in the 17th century. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as me. And I once again have to thank you guys for all listening. We'll hopefully see you guys next week to discuss some more fun episodes. And trust me, you don't want to miss it.